Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Dark Rhino's Security Confidential. I'm your host, Manoj Tandon, and joining me today is Brian Hoagley. Uh, he's a very uh, senior person in cybersecurity. He's a managing partner and chief executive officer at SciChannel. Uh, he's a professor at Boston College in the master's program in cybersecurity. Brian has been driving security programs for over two decades. He is a true practitioner. He has led programs for the DOD, Pentagon, and, in the, in, and the intelligence community, and Fortune 500s and many others. He is a great speaker on the topic, and he has a book published by Wiley, Cybersecurity Risk Management, Mastering the Fundamentals Using the NIST-CSF Cybersecurity Framework. Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here today. Well, thanks you for uh, thank you for having me. So uh, very, uh... we really really appreciate it. I, I'm sure uh, you're going to be able to give our audience uh, a lot of guidance. Um, we have a lot of small medium businesses that uh, use us as an education platform, so I'm sure your insights are going to be uh, well put to use. Let's put it that way. All right. All right. Uh, and, you know, there's been a lot in the news. I mean, I, I don't think we can open a cybersecurity news uh, channel and not see something about malware, ransomware. It's a daily thing. And, you know, first question that comes to mind is you, you've got a lot of experience in this area. What do you see coming on down the pike? How do you see the cybersecurity landscape changing? Yeah, As thanks. So yeah, I think you know our our focus with Side Channel, what I've been doing the last three years, and then even previous to that, just looking at vendors in the mid market and small business space, and just realizing that it's a very underserved community, right? It's a very these organizations can't get access to the right type of leadership, the right type of advice. Um, you know, it's it, it seems to be something that only the big guys can afford, and uh, you know I've just been set on focusing on on that area. It's been interesting seeing clients and what they've been dealing with. It's just, it's it's almost the same thing, you know. Um, you know, I want to make sure that I'm spending the right money on the right things. I want to make sure I'm making right. the right decisions because I, I I can't afford to. Small businesses have a very small window of of opportunity to kind of work within to, to make the right decisions around cyber. So you know what's going to happen? I think over the next couple of years is. You're going to see a big push from regulation, right? We're already seeing this with the SEC and what they're going to do with the with the uh, the publicly traded companies. And you know, Fortune 500, you know, are there's only 500, but there's 8,000 publicly traded companies. So how right. are now the rest of them going to do that? And some of them are mid-sized businesses, right? You, publicly traded doesn't mean you know uh, enterprise, exactly. right? Um, and then you've got you know regulations that are trickling down because of the impact to larger groups. And New York State DFS, I think, was one of the first ones to really put pressure in a sector, right? Financial services within New York State started hitting banks, anybody in insurance, anybody in the financial sector had to start meeting a requirements. And a lot of DFS Part 500 was built on the NIST cybersecurity framework, right. thankfully. Um, and now that's trickling down into the supply chain. So you see this regulatory push from a couple different avenues. The DOD has made a, a big push with their um, move from NIST 800-171 to CMMC, which is a new regulation, yes. and that's going to impact 300,000 companies within the defense industrial base. So the days of, oh, well, one, it's not my problem. I don't think I'm a, too big of a target. Okay, I, We could have a whole discussion about how that's wrong to think that way, because <laughs> most attackers aren't worried about trying to get into you. They want to get into who you're working with. But you're also a target because, you know, we could take you down. Maybe I could milk you for some some money out of ransomware. 
but then you've got the regulatory components and now that's you know pushing pushing things so the need to accept and acknowledge cyber risk as a business risk that's what i think is going to be really changing over the next couple of years that people are going to be waking up to i don't want to make a prediction about what type of attacks are going to happen because you never know right right ransomware started out as a very funny thing years ago where someone just kind of figured out hey i could do this and then it was like oh let's 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 roll with that you know it just became a big business so attacks are going to change attackers are always going to change because that's what attackers do but right. I think the thing is that the defensive side, how are organizations going to view cyber risk and actually address it to combat what what's going on from an attack standpoint, but also to now meet new regulatory requirements. I think that's going to be the biggest shift for the mid-market, I think, over the next five to 10 years. Do you think uh, the mid-market understands or... Uh... You know, where's their maturity level on understanding that cybersecurity is not necessarily a IT problem. It is a business problem, speaking to you know what you just said. Where do you think they are yeah, on the curve? It's it's shifting, right? It's they're starting the the more mature ones, right, are starting to to realize that and embrace it. Um I have a I have a saying that I get kind of knocked on a bit, but like I never sell cybersecurity. Like I, I run a consulting firm and a software company focused on cyber, right? Like this is all we yep. do because this is this is what we know. But I don't sell cybersecurity. You either acknowledge it's a risk or you don't. So if you do, we can talk, right? And, and I think that's kind of the camps that people have to live in. You either acknowledge that cybersecurity is a business risk or you don't. And if you don't, you eventually will. And and hopefully it's not on like your worst day. But I think the ones that are embracing it, right? And I've seen, and it's not even size. I've seen very small organizations, three-person startups, who have started from the beginning and said, "Hey, we want to do this right," right? And then I've seen ten-year-old, you know, five, ten-person organizations who are like, "Ah, we're not a risk. I don't need to deal anything with it." And like those people aren't coming to me. I'm just like running into them and talking to them. They're like, "Oh, I'm not." Yeah. Like law office, architects' offices, professional service right. kind of groups are very like. Yeah, no, we're not. We're we're good. I'm like, here's my card. Yeah, when, when after yeah. something really bad happens, drop me a line and we'll see. Yeah, what we... I'll point you to the janitors that are going to help clean it up. Yeah. But you know, so, I'm not the one that you call like on your worst day. You know, because begging for begging for the solution that that I kind of look at, like I lead with strategy, right? Like. You don't need strategy full-time, but you need a strategy to build out a program to then implement tactical and operational aspects of a cyber program. That's not the thing you call me for when you're ransomware and your business is down, right? You call in Mandiant, you call in FireEye, you call in whoever it is that are the digital janitors to go clean up on aisle four for your problem. And then you call organizations to talk about strategy because you don't want to go through that again. Right? Like, That's right. And, and the cost is substantial if you call in a Mandiant or a FireEye. Yeah. And, uh, and if they're even going to pick up the phone. I mean, there's a, there's so much capacity problems right now with organizations like that, that if you're not a certain size or already on retainer or already getting it through a panel on insurance, you're going to be on hold for a long time. That's that's exactly right. And relative to the spend they would have had putting in a good strategy with someone like you, I think the cost would overall would have been substantially less. But that's yeah, how we factor the economics of it. But you know, 
a lot of companies. Everybody's rolling the dice. Uh, it's risk. It's a risk decision. And I'm never going to tell you as a business owner that you're making the wrong risk decision. Like my job and our jobs as professionals, right, is to provide you with the right amount of information and advice. It's like lawyers, you know, you don't have to listen to your lawyer. You should, but they're the ones who are the legal experts and giving you the advice on like, hey, look, this is what you're looking at. This is what you should do. Here are your options. Here's my recommendation. At the end of the day, it's still your call. Couldn't agree with you more. So let's let's touch on this. Why are SMBs such hot targets? And they absolutely um, think, are. That's been our experience. But I, yeah, why are they? It's uh, it, it's the barrier to entry, right? Um, one of the things I think most organizations don't acknowledge or accept, or maybe they just they're not mature enough to to understand is that there is an ROI for attackers, right? This is a business to them, okay? Yes, it is. These folks have a structure and a business, right? They have marketing, they have PR, yes. they have HR, right? We used to track people in the DoD when they went on holiday, okay? There, there is an ROI to what they are doing. And their business objective is to take over some aspect of your business. So if there's an ROI, that means, okay, well, if I can get into something at a lot lower cost and with a higher return, I'm going to do that versus trying to knock into, you know, Walmart, right? Which probably has a bazillion dollar security fund, right? Why, why knock into right. that? What's the payoff going to be? So look, I think that, you know, we're still coming out of this, like, oh, it's just some kid in my mom's, in, in his mom's basement. Oh, it's just these guys on the other side of the world. They're not going to target me because, you know, I run, no, no, no. you're connected to the internet. Congratulations, you're a target. You're a potential target. Plain and simple, full stop. Um, these are not your these are not kids in their parents' basements. They used to be, but now they're getting paid six, seven figures, and there's That's an right. ROI on taking over your business. So accept that, right? Like the internet is a bad neighborhood. Like you have decided to set up shop, like all the rest of us, we have decided to set up shop in a bad neighborhood. And whether or not you put bars on your windows and put shutters on your things and lock things up. That's up to you. You know, I'll, I'll tell you, Brian, we have, um, there is a small client. It's only a nine person, 10 person law firm uh, down mm -hmm. in Florida that we work with. And they're one of the hottest targets that we see simply because they carry a lot of escrow transactions. And, sure. and people think that it's easier to get into them and, and fish them or social engineer and attack to somehow get access to those monies rather than hack into uh, a Bank of America or a PNC or someplace like that. Um, it's, you're 100% you're right. It's incredibly, it's it's a lot easier. The barrier to entry into that law firm is so much easier. And law firms and easier. professional services are un unfortunately notoriously terrible at accepting that, you know, your concept of attorney-client privilege protecting that data doesn't count when the actor can go in through your computer. Like I've heard lawyers tell me that. They're like, oh, well, attorney-client privilege protects all that. <laughs> no, no, it, no doesn't. it doesn't when they're pilfering all your data. I'm sorry. Like it's a new world. Welcome to it. Oh, I don't want to sound all doom and gloom and like glib, but it, it's it's incredible. The, the very intelligent people that you meet that run these businesses and run shops like this don't take this type of thinking seriously. They're just like, oh, it's not a big deal. That's something that happens to somebody else. 
But you know, it's a thing with the at least in the attorney field, it's a it's a thing with the sector, as as you're alluding to, because the owner, the managing partner of this law firm actually told us, he goes, I've told my colleagues about cybersecurity issues. And the only reason they came to us was after something nefarious had happened, unfortunately, or almost happened, I should say. Right. Uh, and they're like, we better get serious about this. And uh, he goes, but in the industry as a whole, it's just not, um, he goes, my colleagues are just not willing to accept the notion of risk in this arena. And some of them will be in for a very rude awakening. Uh, very, very true. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. <laughs> So if you look at, you know, another category in the small, medium business space is of, of people that say, you know what, I got, I got a firewall, I put uh, something for antivirus on, that's good enough, that's everything else, my cyber insurance is going to go take care of that. What would yeah. you say to those people, Brian? What, what are your thoughts there? So... I just did a I did a whole talk for the DoD um, a couple of weeks ago in, up here in Boston area on this, and it, it rudely awakened a couple of people's um, thinking on this. Cyber insurance is not like auto insurance. Okay, you can't just fill out an application and send it in and expect that you're just going to get a coverage. Okay, I'm a 42 year old white male driving an Audi, and I live in this area, and I only travel X amount of space to or miles to go to work and I have a clean driving record. All of those variables or all of those pieces, data points, the insurance companies have hundreds of years of data to be able to figure out how much of a risk I am to them. That's auto insurance, right? Yep. Cyber insurance does not have that length of time or the, all those data points or the underwriting to be able to figure that out, to be able to yep. accurately tell the underwriters or you what you are as a risk. So the biggest problem I see with insurance is not so much the lack of understanding from the underwriters on insurance. It's when people go to get insurance, they treat it like auto insurance. They're like, oh, I just need to get this. I just need to get covered. Boom. The reality is people need to better articulate what their security posture is to the broker, to the underwriter, to be able to get an understanding of what they actually are as a risk. Conversely, the underwriters and the brokers need to better understand and get better educated on cyber risk engineering to actually accurately determine what the risk is of those organizations. Those two parties aren't doing that, and it's still lack of data on one side and lack of understanding about how to actually position your security posture properly to a broker. Yeah, well, Brian, you know, the, but if you look at the purchasing process of, of cyber insurance, mm -hmm. I, I guess uh, for lack of a better term, I'll say it's a little broken, right? It, it seems that generally you're working as a small business, you're working with a broker, a broker mm -hmm. that deals in applications that doesn't necessarily understand cyber security right. postures. And, they, and they're like, well, okay, we work with four or five different insurance carriers. Here's a general application, fill this out and yep. send it in and then we'll shop you out and see where we can get the best coverage. Right. Right. That is a little different than what you just described of what yeah. should happen. Right. So, <laughs> so I'll, I'll I'll articulate kind of like how it should work, right? If, please. If, if you if you're if you're the company, right, and you've got your broker, and everybody on video here can can see this, your broker goes up to your carrier, okay, or multiple carriers. Yep. 
okay? What's gonna happen is these carriers each have their own application, um, their, 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 their own um, specific um, application and the way that they're asking questions. There are underwriters, right, who sit within the carriers. What's, what's happening is, is all these different types of applications are coming down, okay? And just being, they're like, oh, we need, this is what we need to ask. Here's right. 30 questions, whatever it is, right? Tokyo Marine has one, Hartford has one, Travelers sure. has one, Chubb, AXA, Aeon, they all have their own. Right. None of them are the same. Now, I've had the privilege of working at a Fortune 500 insurance company as their CISO, and I've had the, priv the privilege beyond that to be able to see within the specialty line that's where cyber usually is, to see how how these applications are being written. And a lot of them come stem back from a, an application from way back by Hiscox. And a lot of organizations are still just trying to use that. So there's a, there's a, there's a couple of problems. One, the applications that are being asked, they're not standardized across carriers. Everybody's got their own kind of like way to go do it. Two, the applications, I believe, are asking the wrong questions. Three, the underwriters don't understand how to analyze the answers to the questions that are being asked. That's just at the carrier level. From there, okay, the broker, think of them as like your Hollywood agent. They're the ones who are shopping you to go get that movie, right? They're trying to, you're trying to get that movie script and the carrier is the production uh, facility. The broker, their, their job is to take care of you as a client, make sure you're happy, get you coverages, they are doing everything on your behalf. Neither of these groups are very strong in cybersecurity, okay? Yep. So there becomes a failure, right, by the broker and by the carrier and the underwriter to fully understand cybersecurity risk posture of you, the person trying to get it. Also, you are not doing a very good job of actually articulating to either one of these parties what your security posture looks like. So. The breakdown is actually across all three of these 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 components. What you can do, you can't change your broker, you can't change your well, you can change your broker and you can ask for a different carrier, but you can't make them smarter. So what you have to do is you have to find smarter brokers who know how to articulate and and basically um, you know represent you to the carriers. Um, but you also need to know what your security posture is. And a lot of organizations don't do that. It's like you just said, oh, I have a firewall. I have this, I have that thing. And it's okay, is that is that good? That's what the question that's what the questionnaire last year asked yeah. me. So am I good? And it's like, no, no, you need a security program, right? <laughs> and in with or follow some type of a standard. And within that standard, then be able to say, okay, I'm doing these things to meet each of these aspects of the standard. That's why we build standards. And this is what regulation is actually doing. Regulation is forcing organizations to look at and accept standards. Eventually all of these groups will be caught within having to align to some type of a standard and this is why we have this big problem right now is that again all these carriers each have their own application their own way of doing it each of these underwriters have their own background and experience either lack of experience or strong experience sure in knowing how to actually understand and look at cyber risk so until each of these areas really mature in understanding what cybersecurity is it's not going to get better and the best use case when you look at how carriers do this Look at fire insurance, okay? Fire insurance for okay. commercial lines, okay? They take former arson investigators. They hire former firefighters. They hire people who have a deep background in understanding fire and what fire does to buildings and material. And those people work with the underwriters and the actuarials and the folks in the carrier groups to better structure and posture 
what risk should look like. And then that trickles down. We're not doing risk engineering. That's what it is. It's risk engineering. We're not doing risk engineering at these carriers in, in any meaningful way that is going to make a positive impact on the broker and let alone uh, what the end client is actually going to see the policyholder themselves. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's um, along those lines of what you just described with the firefighters, there's actually some sectors out there that can't even get insurance, period. And we're seeing that now. Uh, in fact, in the oil and gas business, there's certain sectors of that where Lloyd's, which has been known to insure anything, has backed off from insuring them, period, regardless of their posture. But I think mm. those are somewhat exceptional cases uh, based on current world trends. But getting back to your diagram here and what you're describing, do you, is it possible for you, the client, to actually get in front of the carrier? Yes, that's what the broker's job is. The broker should be able to put you in front of a carrier. I just went through, so side channels in the process of going public. We just announced a merger. We're very well, excited about it. Thank you. Thank you. We're very excited about uh, the acquisition and the and the work that we're doing with Cypherlock um, and more news to come out, you know, uh, by the end of June as the deal closes. We're waiting on the SEC to approve it. I just sat down with 32 underwriters across a number of different carriers to just talk about DNO insurance because we're going to be a publicly traded company. We need directors and officers insurance, right? Very standard thing. Yeah. So my broker right? NFP, shout out to Andrew and those guys, great job, was able to coordinate an entire panel of 32 folks, probably 30 of them if you take if you take out the brokers who are there, carriers who wanted to talk to me, the end client, about what they would be looking at as accepting a risk. Because insurance is the fourth aspect of where it is in the line, right? Avoid, mitigate, accept, transfer, right? Transfer. right? It's a risk mitigation strategy. So yes, the broker should be able to put you in front of the underwriter. A good broker will be able to do that. Yeah, and I think um, at least what we have seen, a lot of times what you've put up there on the whiteboard is exactly what happens. Uh, and we don't see a lot of the end customer getting in front of the carrier. But uh, hopefully the work that you're doing and the industry getting more educated will allow that to happen more. And that means that people who actually adopt a good security posture are going to mm -hmm. hopefully be able to take some benefits of it in terms of reduced premiums and better coverage or some combination thereof uh, as it goes. Right. And that's the point, right? That's the point is to move the things that I'm, I, if I have a good understanding of what my security posture is as an organization, I'm going to insurance because I want them to accept the risk of the things I'm not doing. If you don't understand what you're doing or not doing in your own organization, you're you're effectively asking the carrier to just accept all risk. And honestly, they're not wrong to tell you no. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm sorry, but if you don't if you don't know what your own house looks like and is in order, how is the insurance carrier going to go? Okay, well, I don't have to accept that risk over there because you've obviously got it taken care of. You're basically asking me to just accept. If anything happens to you, I'm I'm writing you a check. And if the last three, four years have showed us anything, insurance carriers are getting tired of that. Yes, they are. So how does a company assess its security posture? Give give us some practical insights here. So I'm it's, you know, I, you know, 
spoiler alert, like I built a software platform to do this very thing because I didn't see a very good means to do it. But I mean, you know, real CISO aside, you can do it on a spreadsheet, you can do it on a piece of paper, you can do it on a whiteboard. You need to start with the stand, a standard, okay? The days of like, oh, well, my buddy told me I needed this, this, and this, and, and that's all I need and I'm good to go. That doesn't work. So start with a standard. I'm a big NIST fanboy. Everybody knows that. I wrote a book on it. I've worked with NIST. I, I really enjoy how they've structured things. If we were in Europe, we'd be talking about ISO, but since we're in the US and tax dollars at work, yeah. hey, why not? So use use something, okay? NIST has a lot of different, you know, if we're in the US, NIST has a number of different standards. They have a small business standard. It's called the fundamentals, right? Um, they have the NIST CSF, which is a, a nice kind of, I think, medium ground for most organizations to be able to go use. They have, you know, if you're in the DOD, you're going to follow 8171 because that's prescriptive. And then above kind of NIST CSF, you've got what's known as um, NIST 853, which is just a juggernaut, right, of, of controls. So I think starting with, you know, something that fits you, it's the SMB fundamentals. I'll, um, I'll, I'll shoot you the, uh, it's like, it's like IR 2571 or something like that. But like, it's a standard, right? A lot of really smart people got together and decided, here are the standards kind of, you know, to, to use. Look at what you look like against that, right? It's like building a house, okay? This is the blueprint. This is the blueprint for the house, okay? If you're building a mansion or if you're building a shack, okay? It's like, pick the thing that works for you, but pick something. Like, don't just go off of what your buddy said. So I think a lot of a lot of people miss being able to really put together the blueprint step, right? And then look at what you, uh, how you meet as a, what's called a current state on any of these, right? Am I, am I strong in certain aspects? What I like about NIST is they're, they're very kind of, they structure by categories. So you can kind of see, hey, does it look like I put all my investments into access controls and nothing into disaster recovery? Hmm, that's interesting. Maybe I have an opportunity to kind of even out my costs, my expenses. Maybe I need to concentrate that on, you know, disaster recovery aspects, uh, uh, controls. So seeing across a control framework lets you really see, you know, where am I stronger? Where am I weak? Where have I put more investment? Where haven't I? Um, and then from there, you know, say, what do I want to look like when I grow up, right? What does my, what should my program look like? Do you need to meet everything? No. Okay. But you should determine kind of what your target is. What do you want this to look like? Again, strategy. What is your six month, 12 month, 18 months plan to meet what controls and then put in the resources to start building those blocks up? So, you know, one of the things that we hear is that companies, small businesses get overwhelmed by these standards. They look at this and they're like, oh my God, this is a, this is a mm -hmm. monster. How do they go about doing this practically? If, you know, a lot of these businesses, like e even if you're a hundred person shop or 200 person shop, you might not have a CIO or a CISO. Right. You, you might have a director of IT, uh, so, some small support staff supporting your network and, and infrastructure. How do they begin dissecting this problem so it becomes tractable? Yeah, I think, you know, so I've, I've tried to solve this through consulting. I've tried to solve this through um, through software. Um, you you eventually, at the end of the day, you eventually need somebody who actually understands this space. Like, I don't think there's really a good way to get around just saying like, okay, I'll figure it out myself, right? Um, 
there are some tools out there that I think do a good job of, of helping shepherd you through kind of some of these. Um, but I mean, again, if we're just going to talk about small business, I, I'll pick on the, the NIST's, um, uh, it, it's NIST 7621, it's a small business information security, it's called The Fundamentals, right? It was published back in like 20, um, a couple of years ago, they haven't, 2016. And I just asked NIST uh, a couple of weeks ago um, if they had plans to update this and, and they do, but a lot of it still holds true. It's not an 800 page document. And by and the way, like, what? What do they define as a small business? Just so we have that clear. Yeah, I think it's um, pretty much kind of like under 500 employees, maybe under half a uh, half a billion in revenue is like that's kind of like small business kind of gets up to like 500 million, maybe maybe a lot less. I think it's it's better on the employee count when you talk about SMBs. Mid market, yeah. you seem to start talking more about revenue, but like right. under 500 people. 400 people, that's kind of the, the small business side. Um, it, it also fluctuates. I mean, I, I've seen people who are like, no, small business is less than 20. It's like, who knows? It's it's really like culturally, like how do you feel? How are you structured? And, and what does your appetite look like to actually be able to address this stuff, right? If you look at the SMB fundamentals and you're like, okay, you know what? That's way too easy. We got all that. Okay, guess what? Graduate the CSF, do something a little bit bigger, okay? If you're looking at CSF and you're like, that's that's too much for us, step down, right? I mean, it's, it's, none of these are prescriptive, which is what I really like, you know, they're like, none of these are like, you have to go do them unless they're regulatory. So yeah, I think it's, I think it's just kind of a, a, a self-realization kind of moment okay. that the CTO, the founder, the CIO, CEO has to have. So if getting into the, the NIST fundamentals, what are some of the one, two, threes there? Yeah, it's it's um, it's a pretty straightforward. It it, it mirrors the um, uh, the NIST CSF kind of identify, protect, detect, respond, recover, right? The, yep. the five functional families. Yeah. Um, and it just it really just focuses on um, you know, fundamental aspects of what you need to to have implemented, right? Um, so, do you have a good inventory? Do you have an asset inventory of your environment? Do you have a handle on your controls? Do you have, a, I mean, uh, on your administrators? Do you have a handle on, um, uh, let's see here, like I'll bring up my cheat sheet here. Um, like who has control and and, and to, to what access? Do you do background checks? Do you require individuals to have accounts? You know, are you using shared accounts? Like very, very basic, basic things, you know, like just stuff that kind of just bites people, you know, in the backside when it goes wrong. You know, Microsoft always has a great, um, a great stat, like something like 80% of breaches are somehow tied back to the misuse of administrative privileges. I think that number's actually gone up in the last two years. I haven't checked it, but like two years ago when I started. I, you know, I that, was going to say, when you stat, describe some of those things, I know a lot of enterprises that could probably benefit from doing those things as well. Oh, so. yeah. Well, that's, that's <laughs> what I love about this. It's like, this is the basics. This is the ground floor, right? It's like you... As you get bigger, you should be doing the, the harder stuff. Um, CIS has a great, you know, the Center for Internet Security used to be the top 20, now it's the top 18. Um, that's a great tactical approach to looking at cybersecurity, right? Do I have an inventory of my hardware, my software, my people? Do I have control over my administrative privileges? Do I have remote access control managed? Do I have DR, like very tactical elements, right? Do I have something around software development if I'm doing that? Do I have you know, controls around my on-prem, my cloud or my SaaS infrastructure, my auditing, like 
very big block things. And what's great is all of that translates up as you get bigger to more complex versions of those controls. But the basics at the bottom, literally everybody should be doing. There's, there's really no reason we can't. So yeah, if, if enterprises started adopting the small business fundamentals from NIST, I think we'd see a huge shift. I would be surprised to see like how many enterprises could go through the 20 something controls that the SMB fundamentals has and go, yeah, we do all of those. I, <laughs> if they were honest with themselves, I would like to right. get that answer. I, I think we're dreaming though. I don't think we're gonna ever get that one. Um, and, but yeah. th- I, I can tell you from factually, uh, we have seen databases that still have their default passwords on them. And, oh, yeah. I, I mean, and it's it's pervasive. But hey, well, Brian, enterprises, <laughs> I was going to say, enterprises always kind of, I feel like, <sighs> the story that you're telling when you're telling your cybersecurity posture, are you telling the truth or are you telling us what you want to tell the board? I want to say the latter. <laughs> is this yeah are you telling me what your target state is going to be or your current state like that's that's the thing and everyone wants to like you know show progress and not lose their jobs and and show that you're doing the right sure. thing and be able to say hey we're on track to do this it's like okay well so that means that the risk still exists today yes that's right. okay that's, that's all right, right. yeah <laughs> so hey brian we're we only have two minutes left uh we haven't even covered uh 50 of what we were going to discuss oh. uh, due to technical difficulties folks uh we uh had some issues regardless but i Permissions wanted to issues, at least no give you, <laughs> <laughs> we'd love to have you back but i wanted to give you two minutes to kind of highlight anything that you're going to have up and coming any new books you're doing any talks uh, anything that you want to shout out to and we'll Thanks. put in the show notes as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so no new books, uh, wrote that, did that, uh, done. And, uh, but it is available on Amazon and, uh, published by Wiley. Um, so, you know, if you want to get a good understanding in this CSF and look at it the way that, you know, I do and my co-author, uh, Cynthia does like it's, I think it's a great resource. I think it's probably one of the better resources on this CSF, uh, be, besides what NIST themselves put out. Um, I, you know, just, excited about what's going on in the community overall with information security i think there is a, an awakening around uh risk management within this that that i just genuinely want to see happen across the board being a business owner who's focused in the space aside like i think it's people are starting to make the right decisions um you know uh, i've got some great webinars coming up for the platform uh we'll be doing those uh once a month actually my first one is on june 7th uh so that will be uh well, as of recording, that'll be tomorrow, but as of airing, you probably missed it, so catch that. But basically trying to help people understand, you know, how their current security posture looks and then starting to help make some better decisions on moving to a, a, a better target state. Um, and then just, you know, very excited about the the acquisition and announcement that we had with uh, Cypherlock and excited to, you know, start bringing out some new capabilities uh, through that uh through that, that that organization that we'll have on go forward so just stay tuned for some more information on that oh that would be fan that's fantastic brian and and if you want us uh if you want to send some links uh please do and we'll make sure we put them in the show notes so that people have access to them Perfect. and i uh, want to really thank you for your time uh today sorry about some of the technical difficulties and it's all good and, and we hope to have you back uh, and complete uh this conversation. There's a lot more to discuss. We've only not even really scratched the surface of this. 
<laughs> yeah, happily, uh, happily come back. Um, if anybody wants to follow any of the stuff I've got on hashtag CISO Life, you can find me on LinkedIn, Twitter, anywhere on social media, um, predominantly on LinkedIn. So I know that's how we got connected, Minaj. So, you know, excited and yeah, would love to come on back onto the show and, and, and keep the conversation going. I'm, I'm not shy of discussing this, uh, this, this topic in this sector. No. So. And you have very practical advice, and that's what I love about this. You can, what you're saying, we can actually put to use. So thank you thank very you. much. Take care, Brian. All right. Take care. Yeah, bye-bye.